If you are willing to move from the U.S. Pacific Northwest to East Asia, you probably aren't afraid of change. And you understand that you cannot succeed in your new home without jumping right in, that nothing will come from standing on the sidelines. So you dive deeply into a radically foreign culture. And you are, of course, rewarded for your efforts. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. I remember specifically in South Korea, there are a lot of mountains to explore. And my host mother I was living with at the time noticed my passion for going out on the weekends to places that she didn't understand and finding my way somehow to the top of a mountain and coming back with muddied boots. And she began to collect journals and articles about mountains and particular hikes around the country that she thought would be of interest to me. And then that started a really strong relationship with her where we would go out um, after work for me when I was teaching English and go to some of her favorite restaurants to eat, say, um, spicy chicken feet or spicy octopus. And she would ask me about where I was interested in going to and what the experience was like hiking on the mountains. And I would tell her about what I saw and the journey that I took to get there, which is often a challenge in and of itself without, at least in the beginning, speaking much Korean and having to navigate my way through the, the bus routes and the metros, and then ultimately up to the top of a mountain and back. This week, making friends on mountaintops, the beauty of Korean nature, and the power of percussion. Join us on a journey from Roseburg, Oregon to Seoul, South Korea, and building deep relationships from scratch. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them, they are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is Eric Swin. I'm originally from Roseburg, Oregon. I'm currently a Foreign Service officer working as a refugee officer in the Bureau of Population, Refugees, and Migration. I participated in the exchanges um, as a Fulbright ETA in South Korea. My experience on the mountaintops in Korea really showed me what is important for a lot of Koreans, which is um, the association with nature and especially the changing of seasons. And I remember in particular, um, there was actually a mountain very near our house where we lived outside the suburbs of Seoul. And it was just a small hill really for American standards, but it was called a mountain in Korea. And oftentimes after work, I would go there and I would run up to the top of the mountain and exercise there. They had. Um, a variety of sort of pull-up bars and actually a boxing bag, etc. And there was a core group of men who would work out on top of the mountain at nighttime that I became friends with. There was one night in um, in sort of the deep deep of winter, and you're running up this hill that usually is covered with pine needles, and when you reach the top of it. There's this lake that's, that um, at that particular time 
was covered with ice and there was snow all around it. And that core group of men was still up there, still doing their boxing exercises and jump rope exercises. And then right beside them, there's this beautiful, pristine lake that's just covered in ice. And we would stand there and we would talk about our lives and what at that point had become a decent enough Korean to converse with them. And then I left them and I went up to the top and there's this pagoda on top of the hill or mountain. And you can see sort of this suburb of Seoul. I remember just sitting up there and looking out at the city and reflecting on my day and reflecting on these friendships that I made with these men. And when I think back on my time in Korea, all these relationships, many of which I still have today, are centered on this experience of Korean nature, specifically on these mountaintops. Those relationships are also, of course, tied to food, which is very important in South Korea. At the bottoms of many of these mountains, there are restaurants that serve a variety of types of dishes using sort of root vegetables that are found on mountains. You'd get down to the bottom of a mountain and, and sit and eat with people that you've hiked with or people that you took along with you on your hike and talk about your lives and talk about the experience. And there's one man that um, used to exercise in this particular mountain near our home that I became friends with. He didn't speak any English at all, had never been to the United States. He was a former soldier. And he ended up actually um, working and owning a Korean rice cake shop near our house. And I would go there and learn how to make Korean rice cake. And I would purchase those and, and um, take them back to my host family and present them you know, on certain days, which showed to them that I was interested in their culture. And I certainly was by that point. And I would also go with him to my host father's shop. My host father was a retired civil servant who moved out to the suburbs um, and opened up a, an intestine shop where you drink a lot of soju and, and eat intestines, a variety, a variety of types. And I would go there with him and eat this intestine and drink the soju. You know? And then I would also, at the end of the night, whenever all the other guests had crowded out, I'd be there with his friend, and then my host father would come over, didn't speak English at all, had never been in the United States, and we'd have conversations. Um, if you will, a sort of man's time eating, eating your intestine and drinking your soju. And I really was able to connect with both my host family and also these other individuals I probably otherwise would not have met on the exchange had it not been for the mountaintops and then the food associated with those mountains. So it's interesting to to reflect on my my time in Korea, which is now distant, because I'm realizing how deep of a mark that it left on me. Um, you know, it's, it's summertime in DC right now, and that means thunder and lightning. And and just a few days ago, we we're in the middle of one of these thunderstorms, and I was sitting on the porch with my 18-month-old son. I was watching watching and listening um, to the thunder. And I was trying to think of ways to describe to him the sound of, of lightning as a clang or a, or a crash or a bang um, and while I was doing that um, in my mind's eye 
When I was thinking of the word clang or crash, I was taken back to this time in Korea um, when I, I was teaching. And so I walked out of the building at the end of the day after having been teaching. And I come out and down these steps in the middle of the courtyard is a group of maybe five or six students sitting in a circle. And they all have these instruments I haven't seen before in their hands. And a crowd starts to gather around them of other students. Suddenly you hear this rhythmic sort of boom, 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 and it starts to get faster. Boom, 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 boom. And then all of a sudden, all these drums are, are playing at the same time, and out of nowhere comes this, this clang and this crash. It, it's, it's, a, it's not a very pleasant sound. Um, and I look to see where it's coming from, and one of these students that I'd worked with, very, very petite girl, um, is sitting in the circle. I hadn't noticed her before. And she has in her hands this big brass, um, like a small gong. And she's banging it with this wooden mallet. And it's creating this sound that doesn't seem to be fitting with the other instruments, but somehow it is. And they all come together and create this very sort of powerful or maybe even empowering um, rhythm and start to play and it just feels very meaningful for some reason and, and it's I learned later that this is a sound of samonori which is a Korean folk music or traditional percussion I could participate in some of their lunch sessions and she she says yes and I'm allowed to go in with them at lunch in the auditorium and watch as they play samonori and try and learn a little bit with them and the drum or the the gong that she's playing is called the gingari and the gingari um there there I think there are a variety of sort of histories of where samonori comes from but one of them is that it's the sound of um, farmers and the peasant um, rural culture of Korea and all the instruments sound like different parts of nature and the gingari indeed is meant to represent the sound of lightning or thunder. It's a sound that connects so many different parts of Korea. You know, for me, just there it brought obviously the older rural Korea into the modern urban Korea. I remember just, you know, in some of the sessions I would listen to students explain samunori and explain the music over rice and, and kimchi that was brought out from earthen pots um, that their grandmothers had buried in the backyard. And I remember seeing a samunori perform performance at Sodemun Prison on Korean National Day where there was just this sea of um, white Korean flags, the taeguki, and you couldn't see through it at all. There were so many, but you heard again that rhythmic, familiar sort of drumming of the Samonori group. And I also remember hearing it in Los Angeles when I was had already left the program and was, was working with the Korean diaspora there. I think I even heard it, yeah, again in India at a Korean um, arts festival. And so Samonori, became something for me that really ended up permeating a large portion of my memories of Korea.
On my last day of school where I was teaching, I found on my desk this huge pile of cards. I remember some of the cards were the sizes of posters and these gigantic envelopes and they were covering my desk and I started sorting through my cards and, and trinkets and candy um, as other teachers were watching. I made my way down to about the middle of the pile and in the middle of the pile was the gingari and the, um, the mallet that you used to drum on it with. And this young girl, um, her name is Nain, um, had, who'd led the Salmonori group and during lunch and invited me to participate, had given me her gingari. And I still have it today. You know, going back to teaching my son about the sound of lightning, I was thinking for a while about how to describe it to him. And I took him inside of this large cabinet we have where I've stored mementos, and I pulled out the gingari. And it's funny because he could barely hold it. It's very heavy. It's brass. It has a faded string and, and this round mallet to strike it. And he's hitting the gingari. It's, the sound is awful. <laughs> um, and he's walking around the living room and periodically banging it and dropping it on the floor. And while he's doing that, I'm thinking back on my time in Korea and on this instrument and the person who gave it to me and thinking about how now I'm able to give it to somebody else who doesn't know Korea at all, but who's nonetheless been touched by the generosity of Korea, by the generosity both of its people who are always so willing to share and the generosity of the experiences it provided me, the experience in this case that somehow many years later is still extending to others beyond myself. is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, Eric Swin told us about his experience as part of the Fulbright English Language Teaching Assistant, or ETA, program. For more about that and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do that anywhere you find your podcasts, and we encourage you strongly to do so. And you can also write to us. We'd love to hear from you at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Special thanks this week to Eric for sharing his tales from South Korea. I did the interview with him and edited this episode. 
Featured music during this segment was Thanks for Coming by Josh Woodward and the sounds of Samulnori folk music that Eric describes in this episode, courtesy of the South Korea Ministry of Culture. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credits, as always, are Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.